Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 4972. Now, here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you here on this Memorial Day holiday. It's Monday, May 30th, 2022, and we're just grateful to have you here. We have, as a special, I guess this is almost more of a special podcast on Memorial Day. We've got Jack, Les, and myself, and we're going to be talking about the financial markets in the first half of the podcast. And then later on in the second half of the podcast in the Hot Topics segment, I pre-recorded an interview with John David Mann and his wonderful wife, amazing wife, Anna, Anna, excuse me, Anna Gabriel Mann. And Anna, they wrote a book together called The Go-Giver Marriage. They have a whole series. John's been writing uh, the, the Go-Giver series for some time. They just recently published The Go-Giver Marriage, and you're going to hear about it in that. Say, what is a book on marriage having to do with, <laughs> with uh, on a financial podcast, on a mortgage podcast? Well, guess what? You know, it's, it's a holiday, and um, as we go through life, I just I value my marriage. I value uh, the whole the whole concept of marriage. And I'm thinking, based on how hard I work, I know what challenges I've had. I thought it'd be just a good way to remember what some important keys are to tune up your marriage. How about that? We're giving back not only to the mortgage industry, but now we're giving into marriages. Jack, your thoughts on that, us doing that? Oh, I, David, I think it's a, I think it's a very good topic. Uh, you know, uh, you know, crafting a a a, a healthy marriage uh, with your life partner, uh, you know, is you know makes makes life a lot less stressful, doesn't it, Mr. Lickin? It does. And you have one of the things I love about you is your marriage, Valerie. You you guys have such an amazing marriage, and uh, there's just such a dedication. And I look at our guest, hot topic guest today, who is Les Parker, and his dedication to his wife Linda, who is going through so much. Uh, Uh, in her life right now. And I just love great marriages and those that are dedicated to making it work. So we're going to be giving that to you folks in the hot topic segment. And we'll talk more about it afterwards. But again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Our, Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Uh, Jack and I were on the phone uh, talking here recently, uh, just overall looking at the the whole thing on the podcast, what we've been doing, how we've been doing it. We The podcast listenership continues to just explode. It's just growing so rapidly, and we continue to get so many listeners. We thank you for all of you that have been listening for years, and we thank you all and welcome all the new listeners that have joined us recently and hope you'll continue to work on it. Jack, gave, Jack and I were talking. I said, Jack, I've got some ideas. I want to kind of change it up. Now that you're truly – you kind of got his legs. And Jack's got his legs underneath him as a, as a co-host. He brings a lot to that. I love his style. It's, it's distinctly different than mine. And I think that a variety is a great thing. And so I say, Jack, I've got some ideas. 
and he ha- he came up with some ideas for a new format. Now, the basic format where we spend the first half of the podcast running through different things, we're going to continue doing that. But in not too distant future, we're going to be launching a format of how we do that. And it's going to be much more conversational where the regulars, myself, Jack, Alice, Alan, uh, Matt, and uh, Les, even if we get them on live, we got them live today, uh, can talk about what's going on in, in each one of the important areas of the industry. We're going to add a servicing component. Uh, to this for those that are in servicing what we should be looking at there uh, really excited about this so jack just want to say thank you for um, coming up with this um, there, there was a, a couple of phrases that you had and it's it's a great tweak on this your thoughts well you know david i always thought that we have a lot uh, of good talent uh, knowledgeable resources uh, with the regulars on the podcast and if we get into more of a roundtable discussion, I think that yes. we can really enrich the content that we're providing the listeners. And, and you know, David, that's what it's all about, is, is helping is. people understand, uh, you know, directionally, you know, the market, the compliance fabric, uh, you know. And, and, and so if we go to uh, that uh, roundtable, I think we've got – the opportunity to really allow uh, the regulars to contribute in a way that, you know, it, it, it's kind of siloed now. So yep. let's break down the silos and, and make it better for the listeners. Yeah. Really excited about that. Really excited about that. It was a great suggestion. And it came off of the, uh, the recent uh, round table discussion we did here a few weeks back and both Jack and I enjoyed that so much. We've got to do more of that. How can we do more of that? And now I've been thinking about it. What can we do to improve the podcast? How can we change things up to continue to provide, as you said, Jack, value and, and great content to our listeners and do so even in a way that holds your interest? So conversational, roundtable, uh, mastermind type thinking is just a way to do it. So we're really excited about that. Let's get over to say thank you to our sponsors, Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Finastra, Lenders One, The Mortgage Collaborative, Total Expert, as well as Knowledge Coop, Mortgage Mobility, MMI, Modex, SnapDoc, Success Kit, Lender Toolkit, Form Free, Simple Nexus, and the list goes on and on. And DW Consulting, they do a great job. All of us, thank you, sponsors, for being here. And also a special thank you to Rob, Les, Alice, Allen, Matt, and Jack for their contributions each and every week to the podcast. The MBA got in a got us a uh, uh, report, so let's go over to uh, playing that. Here we are. Hi, I'm Adam DeSanctis. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the Senate voted to confirm Sandra Thompson as the director of the Federal Housing Finance Agency. Thompson had been acting director since last summer and previously served as FHFA deputy director of the Division of Housing Mission and Goals. Also last week, MBA released its monthly Purchase Applications Payment Index, which reports mortgage applications data every month by loan type, geography, and race, as well as how it compares to recent asking rents. The April report highlighted that higher home prices and an 88 basis point jump in mortgage rates led to the median application payment jumping 8.8% from March to $1,889. That amount was $569 higher than in April 2021. For more info on MBA's Purchase Applications Index, visit mba.org slash research. Now that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. 
All right, good job. We've got a new voice from the NBA, Adam DeSantis, S-E, capital S-A-N-C-T-I-S. He does a great job. Adam, great report. Uh, wish, wish Rob well. I know he's continuing on with the, more responsibility within the NBA. We're grateful to have you, Adam, on the podcast with an update each and every week. Very valuable. Great stuff. Um, but anyway, let's, Jack, do you want any comments to what Adam had to say there? Anything that leaped out at oh. you? No, David, I'm fine. Good. Let's get over to talking to Les Parker. Normally, we'd say, now, let's get over to Les Parker and hear from Les Parker with the TM Spotlight and this week's back review of the market. Well, we're not going to do that. We want Les live, and we have him here present with us. Les Parker, Le Parker, as we say, if you're French, should have you here. He's a German, so what can I say? Les Parker, thanks for joining us on this holiday. You know, parlez-vous français. <laughs> well, I knew you would respond. Yeah, I know you. Well, we'll, we'll try to do this one in English, and if we know I'll go there, I'll try to keep my Norwegian accent out of it. And uh, Jack, I don't know what's your background. And do you have any accents you've specialized in, or just Texas? Texas. Yeah, right. I, I, the only uh, accent I have is uh, uh, kind of a Northern Florida redneck accent. Okay. Accent, David. So, yeah, we'll just That's let right, that one go. Yeah, we'll let that one go anyway. Yeah, well, Les is up there in that neck of the woods, although he's moving again. Les, good to have you on the podcast. And what we want to talk about, Les, is what's going on in these capital markets. I'm looking at what can we anticipate. Have we seen the highs? Just really want to get an overview from you on what we can anticipate as we move into the second half of this year. Well, I'm just so thankful that you didn't bring me on as an expert in marriage. I still am (laughs) struggling on that. After 43 years of marriage, I, I try, I really do try to say, uh, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yeah. But it's just, it's, sometimes I say, but, and then all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, it is yes, dear. That's what it's Yeah, when we had that or yes, honey, or yes, babe, or whatever, whatever way people say that. <laughs> So funny, but so true. Yes, dear. Oh, you know, yeah. I I I have preached sermons on marriage. I I also have been bivocational all my life, so I've pastored a lot of uh, what we refer to as home mission churches. And so I learned a long time ago that the man is the head of the house. But I also want you to know that the spouse <laughs> is the neck. So she turns the Anywhere it wants to go. Well, you're you're bringing up a great joke because we're talking about marriage. It's just obviously we're getting the markets here. But you know, speaking of churches and speaking, you know, there's this this one a joke that's out there where the guy, uh, you know, was telling a friend of his. He says, you know, we had this real inspirational speaker about marriage and church, and uh, and so he and so we we went out to this you know retreat, men's retreat, and we talked about marriage and. And he said, well, how did it go? He says, wow. He says, I came home and I didn't see my wife for three days. He says, how is that? Well, I came home and said, you know, things are about to change around here. I'm the head of this house. He says, yeah. And then what happened? He says, I couldn't see her for three days. Finally, the swelling in the right eye opened up just enough where I can make out where she's at in the room. (laughs) That's terrible, Dave. It's terrible. That's it's terrible. Bad, bad boy. Bad, 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 anyway. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, but you brought up speaking and pastorally. So let's move over to the markets. We may be safer there, Les. 
Well, actually, there's not a lot of difference between marriage and what we have to deal with with the Federal Reserve. So, yes, um, dear. <laughs> you know, the economy, one thing is the economy is not understandable and it's not controllable. I think mm. if people can get a understand in relationships that there's individuals and we can influence individuals, but ultimately an individual makes their own choices. And I think uh, successful marriages have to recognize they're both individuals, and yet they have come together as one. But even in that process, you have to understand that relationships are complicated and that it's not fully understandable. And the Federal Reserve thinks mm. that everything's controllable, and mm -hmm. they think it's all understandable, and that is the fundamental flaw of the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. That is such a great point. Let's just park there just for a minute, Jack. Uh, your thoughts on what uh, Les just laid out? Well, I think Les is, you know, right, 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 right on target with that comment. I mean, you know, we've got we've got so many things going on. In, in, in this marketplace right now, um, you know, some of them being domestic driven, some of them being globally driven, you know, and, and, you know, for the, for the fed to be able to get in and, and start pushing buttons and turning dials, they're not, they're not in control of so many of the, uh, of the influencers that are impacting the market. Uh, you know, I mean, just for example, the Ukraine Russian conflict, mm -hmm. and, you know the impact on on global oil and and food supplies. Uh, you know how does that impact what we're paying at the grocery? Uh, you know, I, I, you know it, it's certainly a major driver. Uh, you know, in what we're seeing from an inflation standpoint. So you know the Fed isn't in in, in control because you know maybe less than you know. I appreciate your comment on this. I mean, maybe 25 years ago when this was not as much of a global economy as it is now, you know, the Fed probably did have more control. Uh, but, you know, as, as we've evolved to a global economy, uh, you know, I mean, there's many central banks across the world, and, and they're not orchestrated right now. Uh, you know, the Fed is probably leading the way on, you know, the level of how they're aggressively trying to rein inflation back here back down in, in the States, right? And many of the other central banks are not playing as aggressive as the Fed is. So true. Uh, and we, one of our listeners, uh, by the way, thank you listeners for listening live on this holiday. That's uh, great. We got some questions already coming in, Les. First one is, is why did Les say that? I would love to get more Les's insights as to why he just made that statement. So Les, expound on that. Well, I, look, when you are dealing with economy, let's look at our own individual finances, okay? Mm -hmm. And let's talk about the complexity of individual finance. People have assets, mm -hmm. they have liabilities, they have income, and they have expenses. Now, that's pretty straightforward. That's also what businesses have. So if you looked at Apple, Apple has assets and it has liabilities, it has income, and it has expenses. So if you look at it into four quadrants, it looks pretty simple. But 
Enron got in a whole lot of trouble because of the way it dealt with its assets and its liabilities and how it flowed through into income and how they recognized expenses. So in a corporate sense, most people would probably say it gets much more complicated than four parts. And then if you look at, and by the way, that's even simplistic because you also have net worth and you have capital structures, things like that. And I was giving the that correction before Jack corrected me, but um, <laughs> but I was trying to keep it in a in a kind of simple box, right? Four little parts to a box. Right. Well, that's look, think about your own personal finances. You have those four quadrants. We have income. We have we have expenses. We have assets, and we have liabilities. Do your assets change? Sure, they do. Uh, sure, cars depreciate. Homes appreciate. Oh, wait a minute. I guess it depends on what year we're talking about. If we're talking currently, our cars are appreciating. Oh, and, ca- and homes were appreciating, but now they're depreciating. I did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. It just shows even in the current moment we're in, you can't always assume cars only depreciate and, and real estate only appreciates. So just in that simple statement, then what about liabilities? Can liabilities change and shift? Of course they can change and shift. How you may extend if you just buy a new house or you do a home improvement and you use any debt for that or you use financing for to certain purchases of household goods and that that interest rate may be variable. In fact, most consumer debt is variable. Did your um, liability just increase in a sense? It would actually be on the expense side, but think of it as kind of a, the obligation growing. If we could fix the expense. And the obligation grows, it has a total value, and so now it equals a payment. So it, it doesn't, it's not that simple. Then we talk about on the expense and the income side, same type thing. You, you may have a bonus, or you may have to, uh, have to pay more in taxes, or how about on the expense size right now for the, what's going in the gas, gas tank? That's, that's, that's a single individual or a single household um, economy. What in the world is it for multiple billions of people? Mm-hmm. And how does that interact if we think of them as economic units, whether the economic unit is a country or it's a commonwealth, or maybe if it's a, in, like in India, it may be a country, but it has several different quadrants in the way their economies operate. Some are extremely ag-based. Some are extremely uh, software-based. So, even within countries, even within economic units, it's very complicated. Just in the way it's structured, just you know, assets, liabilities, income, expenses. Yeah, that's actually a good way to look at it. Let's talk a little bit about where you see interest rates going. What are some of the things that we should be paying most attention to? Obviously, economic data, inflation, blah blah blah. But what, what Les, when you you write this very Excellent. Probably one of the best newsletters on this. So concise. It's got an entertainment factor because you're always referencing a song as you do in each of our segments, which, by the way, you and Gary Canterbone rock it when it comes to producing the uh, market update, macro market update each every week. So thank you for the work that goes into it. It's just really, really splendid. But what I'm really interested in is what should we be looking at? Is 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 it the norm or is it something else? And I want to get your thoughts. Jack, I'll get, have you come in after that. 
Yeah, you know, actually, I'd like to have Jack comment on some things here because I, I'm going to say something, and then he's going to – he should – so when we just think back <laughs> when we did our update and, and Jack and I were talking, he said, Les, what, well, the Fed, though, is increasing rates, so therefore rates are going to increase. And it is true that in the historical way of viewing the Fed is you don't fight the Fed. That's the way you we kind of think about it. Um, and the fight, if the Fed wants to increase rates, then it's going to increase rates. There is nothing you can do about it, certainly on the short end. But the consequences of their policies are not necessarily a straight line. And it's not a straight line because of the complexity of global economies. That's what we've been kind of talking about here. And also the simplicity and stupidity of mm-hmm. the models generated by extremely smart people with there's uh, multiple people that work at the federal reserve that have phds these are very smart people these are not stupid people but in the end their their models are way too simplistic and by the way they in a certain sense have to be how do you describe Mm -hmm. something that's complicated without simplifying it in a model but that's the way it is so the Jack was spot on that rates went up. They went up further than I was expecting. I, um, I thought we would stop at 310. We went up to about 320. I also thought that we had a good chance of reversing down hard to lower rates uh, during that time period because of the folly of the Federal Reserve. And so Jack's observation of saying, we're not going to fight the Fed. The Fed's going to do great. He was actually right on, and I made a lot of my uh, caustic comments about the Fed <laughs> at that time, but so I don't, I haven't changed my view of the Fed um, because I know it it is correct, and a lot of observers, even former officials, acknowledge the uh, folly of the Fed. But uh, Jack, you were right on on saying we need to just kind of go with the higher rates, and you were kind of wondering, will the higher rates of mortgages when will that create a problem? Well, we're seeing it; it's creating a problem right now. Jack. Well, you know, so Les is right uh, that, uh, you know, this is not a linear. This is not. Yeah. Well, no, this is not a linear world. I like that. Yeah. But, you know, this is not a linear world, David. Uh, You know, the fact that, you know, uh, the Fed may increase uh, the Fed funds rate 50 basis points in June, another 50 basis points in July, you know, I do not believe that, you know, we're going to see a linear increase in uh, interest rates. Uh, you know, I mean, so so at some point, uh, you know, bonds rates detach, uh, you know, from, from Fed funds rate. And, and I think we're at that inflection point now, um, you know, so... So, you know, do I think we're going to be looking at a 6.5% 30-year fixed rate, you know, for a high FICO, 80% LTV uh, mortgage? No, I don't. Uh, Now, I may be proven wrong, but, but, uh, you know, I I think that, uh, you know, you also have to stir in a little bit, uh, and and this is what makes it kind of magical, uh, you know, is uh, both the emotion in, in traders, uh, and and the fact that we are uh, you know getting ready to have a very important midterm election here in November. So I think yep. there's going to be 
you know, just, you know, a number of influences uh, that uh, are influencers that is going to impact the market over the coming five months. And, and I don't believe we're going to see a linear ramp up. Uh, and, you know, I hate to call, you know, where we're at now kind of a, 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 a spacious point, right? But, um, you know, I think that 320 may have been the top. So, you know, but, you know, we got to peel some more time off the calendar. Bunch of questions around that, Les. Uh, first of all, let's start at the 320 high. Uh, thoughts on that? What are you hearing? What are you sensing out there? And what could take it higher? And But what are the forces that are probably going to push this even lower? Well, I, or continue I think the downward, general macro downward trend. Yeah, Jack's observation is spot on. So um, when we were out of sync earlier this year, it was only because of the way we were looking at the pendulum. Was the pendulum still swinging upward or was the swing, pendulum ready to swing downward? And I was more inclined to think it was losing momentum going the other way. And we had further momentum. And this was, an, you know, this is a historic move in mortgage rates over this, you know, these last six months. This oh, yeah. has been a historic in terms of the how fast it went up. How rapid, yeah. Um, rate of increase, yeah, yeah. how rapidly it rose. And then it also we saw a very rapid decline, by the way. Mm-hmm. Over a year and a half, we, we saw a significant decline in rates. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that 4% was kind of the norm, and we were kind of floating around that level. And then it's almost as if we blinked our eyes, and we were at uh, two and a half or below. So mm-hmm. uh, in 30 year, you know, the same qualifications that Jack gave earlier. So that's, if you look at it in, in the last two years, mortgage rate here, it may be two and a half years, mortgage rates have gone a long direction both ways. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting that um, those tops uh, back in 2018 looked like a formable uh, level. And it turned, and it turns out it was, and uh, the market wasn't able to pu- push through that. And, and FYI, back in 2013, it was a little bit lower, but it was say, a lot of congestion around this three percent area, a little higher, a little lower, um, in the uh, ten-year uh, treasuries, which is again a way we reference mortgages. But even that has. We have to hold that loosely. If we look at mortgage spreads, mortgages were at they were negative to treasuries. If you look at the net rate that an investor receives on a mortgage-backed security, and look at the net rate that an investor receives on a ten-year treasury note, the you could you received lower yield on a mortgage-backed security than you did on a 10-year back in 2021 during the pandemic. And then we also saw, and that's because it went, the mortgages went, their duration dropped significantly very fast. And that was the reason for the out-of-balance. So it meant that the 10-year wasn't really the right fit to a 30-year mortgage. It should be a five-year security or even less. So there's reasons for these changes in yield, so you have to kind of take it a little bit with a grain of salt. But if we look at the 10-year yield and look at a mortgage-backed security yield 
and just reference the uh, the uh, Fannie Mae. We'll just say the Fannie Mae fours, since we're kind of in that environment. We have ch- the relationship between mortgages and treasuries has changed 200 basis points huh. over the last uh, year, year and a, a little less than a year and a half. 200 basis points change in the relationship, which the point of that is things change. So I I think if if your listeners could gain anything from this broadcast today, I think they need to understand that as much as things look simplistically stable, they aren't. The economic world is not a stable world. It will appear stable a lot of times. But if you look at the ocean, it will appear stable. Just go out there ahead of a storm and see what what your waters are like, or after a storm and see what it's like, and see what it's like in the midst of a storm. That's a that's a sensitive t- topic for Jack. He lived, just moved, retired, moved down to the Gulf, so he, he looks at the weather out there a lot and how the what looks stable can change dramatically. As we wrap this up, Les, I mean, it's amazing how fast the time goes. What I want to talk about is something Jack brought up, and it's the midterms. What, if anything, will these midterms do to interest rates in your in your mind? Are you anticipating any change? I don't. I think little. I have yeah. little. I, I don't. I don't expect a lot from the U.S. political environment. I I think the it's the global more, political the environment global, yeah. is really what. Yeah, the global political environment really is what's driving things. I think the uh, the. And we'll just say the G10, you know, the larger mm-hmm. uh, advanced economies have, have somewhat resolved themselves to the current administration. And they, even though there are certain things they like about it, uh, there are some other areas that have e- escalated where they want to try and uh, separate more from the United States and its leadership. Uh, that mm-hmm. was happening under Donald Trump. It was happening under President Obama. It's it's happening under uh, Joe Biden yeah. for different reasons for in in, in different he's parts he's of the good. world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it, and a different not, I don't. I think little little impact. Uh, yeah. You know, the midterms will have little impact. Yep. Very good point, Jack. You want to on add interest rates? Too? Yeah, on interest rate. Right. That's exactly, and that's all we're talking about right now. Uh, Jack, any thoughts you want to wrap up as we wrap up this first half of the podcast? Well, you know, I, I just think the watchword, uh, you know, for the environment that we're in right now is volatility. Um, mm-hmm. And and whether or not, you know, it's domestic politics or, you know, the world global politics. I mean, you know, we I remember uh, several months ago, uh, you know, we were actually the beginning of the year. We were talking about what would happen if. Uh, Russia were to enter the Ukraine, you know, now we've got a similar question with China and Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just, you know, there's so much volatility today, uh, you know, in the in, in the market. What, uh, you know, oil was trading last week. Let me get to my oil prices here real quick. Uh, crude oil, you know, what, $117 a barrel. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just, you know, so many things in the marketplace have have just seemed to open themselves up to volatility now. And, you know, so from a capital markets perspective, you know, this is, you know, every day, you know, a, a watchful eye uh, in the marketplace, Amen. recalibrating, you know, your, your pull through. And, you know, 
This is a market yep. that you don't want to be long or short in. Uh, you know, uh, you you want to That's be right. as neutrally hedged as possible. Yep. And absolutely, less. volatility volatility is the watchword. I can say amen to that multiple ways. Yep. We got it, and there's lots of reasons for it. While we're going to see that, which is a good reason, every one of our listening to this podcast. And your company should subscribe to Les Parker's TM Spotlight and his back review of the markets. He does a great job every day. Every day. He gets Dave, I know you're wanting to wrap this up, but let me get – I just want to let the, the, your audience know that uh, Jack and I don't just look at the standard things. Jack's very much uh, broad in his thinking yes, and the is. way he looks at markets, and so do I. And I want them to know that we do know what – I. Uh, the DeFi is, you know, the decentralized finance. We do understand what's happening there in the crypto markets. Uh, we've seen crypto down 77% since its August mm. highs. And those things are not directly impacting uh, interest rates per se because it is such a tiny part of the market. But it is going to be where there's a lot of changes are going to be taking place in disruptive markets and disruptive finance and in decentralized um, de- decentralized finance. Uh, crypto is something that people should pay attention to, but not directly. Not, it's, it's an indirect thing. And it does show you, and it plays to what Jack just said, volatility. 77% drop in a year, in less than six months in uh, cryptos does give you a sense of that's volatility. We can talk mm-hmm. similarly in oil, not 77% in oil, but you can in uh, growth stocks. We can see where there's been significant drop there. You can look at tech, particularly tech that doesn't, that is uh, a burn tech. They're burning money. They're not actually making money. We've seen those drop 50 to 80% in their values. You look biotech. So those, with those type of numbers, that is heavy in the equity side. That's going to spill over into the fixed income side and the way that you're going to see responses on what people demand for returns. That's why it's complicated. The Federal Reserve model is way too simplistic, and they have a simplistic approach to that if they just tweak these little items, they can correct the world. They can't, but they are a huge gorilla. There are huge, yeah. huge influencers in the market, so you have to pay attention to what they the do. Gorilla, Thanks. The gorilla is trying to do its best to balance its way, and it's impossible. So, great point. Les Parker, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. I want everyone to sign up for the TM Spotlight. Do so by going to tmspotlight.com. Subscribe for free, or you get the paid version by putting in the word power, empower, for no power, for the word power seller, which is um, you'll see all throughout. Les Parker, thank you so much. Also, we should put in a shout for, seeing as we're talking about the markets, Matt Graham's um, mbslive.net site is also an outstanding resource, giving you live up to the second, up to the nanosecond of what's going on in the financial markets. Both of you, thank you so much for being here on the first half of this podcast. We're going to now move into the hot topic. Thank you, and I wish you both a very great Memorial Day holiday. Thank you. That's it for the uh, mortgage market update, the weekly update. We're going to now move into the hot topic segment. We have as our special guest uh, two individuals uh, that I'm very 
please to call friends. And I'm getting really close with both of them for a number of reasons. And I'll let, I already pre-recorded the interview. So, uh, but I'm just really excited to share this with you. You go like, what is a a mortgage podcast having to do uh, focusing on marriages for a little bit? Well, it is a holiday and we're all with our families and what can we do to have a better marriage? I'm looking forward to sharing this podcast and this interview with you. Here you go. Listeners, I am really honored and excited to share with you two guests who are fast becoming some of my favorite people, and I'm getting so close to them that I'm so excited to share with our listening audience these two individuals. I have on the podcast joining me is Anna and John David Mann. They're a husband and wife team. Most of you probably have heard of the books, the Go-Giver series. This is the book series that John David Mann has written along with Bob Burke. And they are very, very well-read, bestsellers all the way around. But I connected with them on their latest book, which is The Go-Giver Marriage. And so I'm excited to talk about all of these books. But I'm going to start with you, John, if you wouldn't mind. What was the catalyst for creating the first Go-Giver book? Well, First, I'll have to just say the go-giver, it really was the beginning of my career, which came late in life for me. I didn't start until my late 40s writing books. The go-giver was the beginning of my career as an author. It was the book that showed me that I can write a book, which was a good thing to find out, as it turns out. So talk about the relationship with you and Bob. How did the two of you meet? Yes, Bob and I had never met in person, but just through email and every now and then on the phone, primarily through email. We met because I was an editor at a number of different business journals, and Bob would submit articles, and I would edit them. And one day he emailed the publisher and said, who is this guy that makes my stuff better than it was when I wrote it. Who is this guy? And so we got connected through my work on his writing. He approached me a couple of years later and said, look, I've got this idea for a book, but it's not the kind of book I can write. I write how-to stuff. This is going to be a story. I have this idea for a story like the richest man in Babylon or like the greatest salesman in the world, like Ogmandino. But I want to be like that, but I need you to do it. I don't want you to edit my stuff. I want you to write the book with me. So he says, I'll make you a deal. You write it. I'll promote it. And that was a good deal for me because I didn't know how to promote books. So the thing that made it work, David, was that we didn't know each other that well. We had very different backgrounds. We're very different people, but our values just were in perfect sync. We Mm. just connected. I would almost be able to finish his sentences before he even started them. And so the book drew from his experiences and philosophies, and it drew from my experiences and philosophies. I'd been in sales and leadership for years as had Bob, sales management. So the book was like the perfect union of the two of our experiences, and it began a long and fruitful friendship, as well as this series of books. How many copies has this sold? It's on the global bestseller list. I mean, this is a very, very well-written and well-read book, published all over in numerous languages, I understand. It is in, I think, 28 languages, and it has sold over a million copies. And the fun thing about that for me was that when we first brought it to publishers in New York, it was rejected 22 times. Wow. 22 different people said, no, we'll pass. And then it was 21. And then the 22nd published it. And he's really, really happy he did because it sold over a million copies. And we followed up with several sequels, a book on sales, a book on leadership, a book on influence, until finally now entering an entirely new chapter of human relationships and marriage. One of the things that I wonder about is amongst our listening audience, how many people have a book that they have thought about writing or desire to write. Any tips that you would have for a wannabe writer 
John? The first thing I would say is to write, just to write. And the way that I often encourage people to begin writing is to start with something short form. Start with something like whether it's a blog post or a little column in a newsletter or even a lengthy post on one of the social media channels. Start by trying to communicate a single idea with a story to illustrate it in short form. If you do a blog post in 400 words or 300 words or 200 words and make that as complete and self-sufficient as you can and then do that again and do that again and do that again. If you develop the muscles of expressing a single idea beautifully with some story element involved so that people read it and go, ah, I never thought of that before. That's the set of muscles you need to write a book, no matter how long it is. Parable of 24,000 words, a novel of 100,000 words, whatever. That's that singular little storytelling, expressing yourself muscle you need. And then don't worry about the long form, the longer book. It'll take care of itself as you go. Anna, I know you have something you'd like to add to that. I do, and it's this. If you really want to write a book, and a lot of very, very smart executives have books in them, but they don't have the wherewithal to start a blog. They're working many, many hours. My second piece of advice to this is search around the writing community. Go to people that you trust that have written great books. Ask them who edited, who helped them. Because there are a lot of people out there writing phenomenal books in partnership with a seriously good writer. And that's the ticket as well. Because a great book can be not just a calling card, but it can really be a statement on your beliefs, the way that you express leadership, the way that you express trust and all kinds of different values that are so important to the work you're doing. The alignment is so important. That's how the three of us met was through the writer that I'm using for writing my first book. And I've been pregnant with at least three to five books, and I'm finally giving birth to the first one, and we'll see what comes after that. But I'm just so thrilled. I love the writing style, which you have, which is a fable. You're writing from a fable, which is that story, and then you introduce the concepts in there so successfully. So those of that have not read the Go-Giver series, I encourage you to do so. The first one is the Go-Giver. Next one, I believe, was the Go-Giver Leader. Am I correct in that? And then it went to Go-Giver Seller, and then Go-Giver Marriage. Is that correct? And there's a book in there called The Go-Giver influencer, which is not about being big on Instagram. It's about being a person of genuine influence in the world. I have that book and I just forgot to pull it off the shelf. So I should have that in the pile of books I have of yours here. All read, well worth the time. So listeners, download these, listen to them, read them. I highly recommend it. I want to set aside all these books because when we do business, and they're all good, I want our readers to go read all of them. But one of the things that goes on in business, and specifically with men, we don't reach out for help on the other things other than business. Most of us are married. Most of us have relationships, significant others, whether it be with our children, with our spouses, whatever. And at least in the male world, I find men don't reach out for help until they're announcing their divorce. I had this happen this week, a client of mine, uh, and he's a regular listener of the podcast. They said, just want to let you know, we're going to be divorcing. We've been working on it for a year. I want to talk about marriages because I think women, Anna, seem to talk about it as soon as there's some pain, there's stress that's going on. They get their girlfriends, they get their tribe together, and they start talking about it. Men, not so much. And, John, I wanted to get your thoughts and your unique perspective from both of you. Do women, in fact, have a tendency to start talking about it earlier with their friends and network, and men internalize it and stuff it and don't deal with it until we're announcing the divorce? Is that a a truism? It is. Women are very relational to begin with. I mean, they were raised to be in relation to the people around them. 
So they've always been sort of servant leaders. They're the moms, they're the cooks, they're the ones that clean up, they're the ones that take care of things. In many, many cases, they're also the one that sort of runs the household, runs a big network or business, and yep. is wearing many hats and doing many things, but is relational at her core. And so, yes, women are more likely to talk about it, even if it's just with a best friend, and be in that position of, I'm struggling with this or that. Can I bounce this off of you? Whereas I find men will do it in some circles, but are much more guarded about it because I think that men, in their desire to be seen as powerful and strong and capable, they really don't want to let themselves be vulnerable, not even to their peers, because of how it might reflect on them professionally and otherwise. It's such a good point. Here's the reason I was so excited about sharing with our listening audience, the two of you. I want to encourage us talking more sooner about relational issues. My experience, women seem to open up and share more authentically about what's going on and men hold it in. I think we need to change that. And I think to the extent that you're working with others in your company that are struggling and you sense that, I think this book, The Go-Giver Marriage, is probably one of the best resources as a starting point. It gets the conversation going. John, you wrote the book. Yeah, in the first half, so for listeners who haven't read the book yet, the book is in two halves. The first half is a story, as David said. I was largely the author of that half, and the story introduces some characters who are going through some marital issues, and it introduces these ideas we call the five secrets to lasting love. And then the second half of the book is Anna steps in and basically says, okay, here's what you just read, and here's what it means, and here's why it works, and here's how you can do it. So she kind of does the explanatory part and gives you the step-by-step tools. But back to the story part for a moment. The story's about a young couple named Tom and Tess, a young professional couple, going through a single day in their lives. And one thing to note about them is that Tess is worried and a little concerned about their marriage. They're not in crisis. They're not right. yet in the operating room facing the scalpel, right? But Tess is a little concerned, is worried. A girlfriend of hers has just announced that she's getting divorced. And they were into school together. And Tess is going, oh, my gosh, is that where we're headed? Tom, if you follow his story, doesn't have any such thoughts. He has no clue that there's anything wrong with their marriage. <laughs> and this is no accident. One reason that men frequently don't really bring up issues in their marriage until the divorce court beckons is that men frequently aren't even aware of it. They're not even letting it in. Not only do they not want to tell their friends, they don't want to tell their colleagues, they don't even want to tell themselves. So men, I think, frequently do have this, let's just tough it out. We were largely brought up that way, whether by our parents or by the culture at large, right? Tough it out, hang tough, be strong, get it done. Those are all great things. But there needs to be room for self-reflection and self-examination. So one of the things that we really stress throughout the book is the need to be self-reflective and explore just what is going on. By the way, it's no accident that I mentioned the surgeon's scalpel. This is just like health. So many of us basically don't pay attention to our health until the doctor says, you, sir, are on the verge of a heart attack. Or until after you just had the heart attack and you're waking up in the hospital saying, wait a minute, I thought I was healthy. Well, guess what? You weren't. Marriages can be like that, too. That's such a great metaphor, and it's so true. I think oftentimes, men, we wake up clueless to what has been going on, and the symptoms are so obvious. And you do a masterful job of telling the story of Tom and Tess. 
there's a pivot in the book. I'm not going to give it away, but there's a wonderful pivot in the story and how this absolutely goes to a delightful place. But let's go over to you, Anna. So I want to make sure we cover the five secrets, and if you could expound on each one of them. And like any good book report, I want it to be the point where we draw people to want to read this book. It's so solid, so good. Well, here's the first thing I'll say. It's hard to give all five secrets enough space and time in this time limit. But I will start by saying this. The five secrets are really about generosity of spirit. The first four secrets are about being generous with your spouse. And the fifth secret, which is counterintuitive in every Go-Giver book, has a fifth secret that is counterintuitive to the first four. The fifth secret is about giving to yourself. Because in a great many marriages, people give and give and give in a way that's almost martyr-like. They don't actually give back to themselves or to themselves in any kind of way. And then they wake up 20 years later empty, hollow, and they don't know who they are because they kind of expressed it all with the kids, if you will. And now they're facing empty nest syndrome and they don't know who they are. And that's very real. By the same token, being a natural born giver, and by that I mean not giving transactionally, not giving with the idea that I'm going to give you this because I want that. That's not the kind of giving we're describing. We're describing adding value to the other person's life, which is the bottom line premise of the entire go-giver theory, is how can you bring value to another person's life? Because when you do, if you are generous and giving to the other person, it's like the fastest moving boomerang you've ever seen. It comes back to you in spades. And that's the power. So the first secret is simple. It's appreciation. But appreciation is, in essence, it's gratitude wrapped up in a package that's all about the person that you're appreciating. So in a sense, you're stopping your partner in their tracks and letting them know in words the things that you appreciate and love about them. And it needs to be really authentic and sincere. It's not just a passing compliment, like, I really appreciate you, honey. It's much more direct than that. It could be like, when I listen to you talk to our kids, I just feel so happy that you're their dad because you just are the Pied Piper with them and they adore you. And it's so rich. It's so rich for them, so rich for me to experience. And I love you for this. Thank you. So good. Yes, John. What Anna just said, it's so important because it isn't just hey, I want you to know I appreciate you, honey, because that's meaningless. I mean, when you say the kind of thing Anna just said, the power is in the specificity. And by the way, this is also true of bosses and and employees. This is true of managers and their people. The power is the specificity because what the specificity of the appreciation, the specificity of the gratitude says is, I've been paying attention. I've been watching you because you matter to me, because I care about what you're doing. And so I've noticed these particular things about you that I want to just let you know about. That is so powerful. That's so good. I was thinking about the parallels between a relationship between a husband and wife and between a boss and a subordinate or a manager, anyone supervising someone else. That's such a great point. Let's move on to the second one. This is one that I'm personally working on, and I've retained Anna to advise me and work with me a bit in my relationship with my wife, and this is the one I've been practicing this last week. Talk about this one, which is attend. Attend is literally about paying attention. Because when you attend to your partner, you're looking to see all the things that they love and all the things that they want 
and in, in essence, in attending to them, you're giving them that. And I'm not talking about gifts per se. I'm talking about acts of attention. And that could be spending quality time with them. That could be taking a walk in the afternoon because it's what she loves to do, which gives you an opportunity to talk to her and find out how her day is. It could also be something John does for me. He puts a hot steaming mug of tea next to my bed at like (laughs) 6.30 in the morning every day and delivers my laptop to my bed so that I can just spend the first half an hour catching up email, sipping tea and relaxing. And it's the sweetest gesture. It's just an act of service, but it's such a powerful thing. And so when you attend to your partner, you're just paying attention to those little things that she loves and adores or he loves and adores. Maybe your husband loves carrot cake with walnuts and cream cheese frosting, and he doesn't really need more sugar in his diet. But hey, is once a month going to be the the deal breaker? Make him some cake. I mean, the old joke of the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. There's a lot of truth under that statement. This is the brownie boy right here. And I make sure that he's got apple spice cake or brownies or whatever else it is that he actually wants. And also it's little acts of service. Like sometimes he's in his office writing And I'll just bring him a plate of cheese and crackers and apple slices and a cup of hot tea. And I'll put it on the desk and walk out. I don't try to engage him in conversation because he's busy. But it's just that little thing of like, here, I know you're in the middle of your afternoon slump here. Here's something to brighten your day. It also can be paying attention to when your partner's not doing well. And I like to say this. When I can see that John's having a really bad day, I won't try to process it with him because that's the wrong move. For a husband to try to fix what's going on with his wife, trust me, don't try to fix it. Listen. At the same time that you're listening, one of the best things that you can do is just walk up to your partner and say, it's clear to me that you're not having the best afternoon. If there's anything I can do, just know I'm here. And then just walk away. Because then... My day just got better. You're giving them the freedom (laughs) to say... Yeah, I'm just like, I'm losing it over here. Can I talk to you? Or you're giving them the opportunity to say, would you make me a cup of tea? That's all I really need right now. You know how that feels on my end, on the receiving end? When I'm in that afternoon and Anna says that, what you just said to me, the way that feels is at this moment, I feel like the whole world is against me. I'm doing battle with the whole world. I'm doing battle with my publisher or my colleague or my internet service or whatever it is. And what I just got reminded was, Here's a person I'm not doing battle with. In fact, she's got my back. She's on my side. She's on my team. She's not requiring anything of me. All she's wanting to to do is let me know that she's here. It is such a relief and such Mm. a source of comfort and strength. I coach a lot of high-powered professional men, and a lot of them are like killing it in their business world. I mean killing it. These are successful guys. But in their personal lives, Things aren't as good. And one of the things that I often say to their wives, because a lot of times I coach both elements, and I coach individuals. I do not coach couples. And the reason I do that is because the only person that can change the marriage is you. Mm. So by working individually, I have a better opportunity to work directly with that person, with their issues, with the way that they're blocking intimacy, the way they're blocking the relationship. And so one of the things that I recently encouraged a partner to say to the other partner, and this is the wife of a very defended, very high power guy, but he also has a lot of childhood wounds. 
And I said to her, what would it mean for you to say to him, I just want you to know that I see that you've been hurting for a long time and I see that you want this relationship to work. And I just want you to know, I see you and I care about you. And then she just let it go. And he had to walk into the bathroom because he broke down and cried. He was so moved by what she said. She didn't try to process his history. She didn't try to process the relationship. She simply acknowledged that she knew he wanted it to work and that she knew that he was in pain. And that was one of the most powerful things she could do to attend to him. And it really moved to the relationship and it moved to the coaching. Like fast forward, it moved to the coaching. That's so good. Got to move on to the next secret, the third one, which is allow. I, I love this one for many, many ways. So talk about that. I actually want to pass this to John because this is a really John, yeah. difficult yeah, yeah. secret, and he explains so, it beautifully. Well, now that you've set me up, I'll have to try to do that. This is in some ways the most subtle and most difficult secret. Not difficult to do, but, but kind of difficult to express, understand. Here's what it is with allow. Appreciating is often something you do the moment you fall in love. Mm-hmm. In fact, when you're in that courtship phase, you're appreciating each other like crazy, right? You can't say enough good things about the other person. The poet who said, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. This guy was in love, right? <laughs> That's right. how we all are. With attending, we like to attend like crazy when we're dating, don't we? We bring flowers, we bring chocolates, we take you out to dinner, we take you to a movie, we, we, we show you a good time. We jump through hoops to try to attend to you when we're first together in that courtship phase. Allow is something that tends to emerge only over time. Allow is the faculty that you need to develop, that you need to express when things get difficult. I don't mean between the two of you. I mean in life. We're courting. We're in awe of how gorgeous each other is. And so we come together. We get married. We're living together. We have a home. We're building. And then there's kids. And then there's careers. And then there's finances. And then there's mortgages. And then there's sickness. And then there's accidents. And then one of our parents has a stroke. And then one of our friends betrays us. And and we suddenly lose an investment. And all these things are stresses on the marriage, on the relationship that cause us to be stressed out and we start to lose that automatic magic that we had when we were courting, right? Because the world is wearing us down. These are the moments when we need to be able to make allowance for our partner. Another word for allow could be grace. We need Mm. to show our partner some grace when they're having a little tougher time than we are. By the way, it is never even. We like to say marriage is not fair. If you're looking for it to be fair, you're looking in the wrong place. You won't find it in marriage because we're two different people. And always one of us is a little ahead of the other in terms of our buoyancy, our mood, our situation. One of us is always having a little tougher time than the other one. It's a back and forth thing. So when your partner is the one who's having a hard day, they didn't sleep well last night. They just had a rough time at the office. They're not feeling well because they're sick. Whatever's going on, when they're in that space, you may need to pick up a little more than your, quote, fair share of the burden. You may need to do a little more chores. You may need to do some tasks around the house that they normally do. You may need to, even though you urgently want to tell something that's on your mind, to just bite it down for a moment and listen to what they have to say because their need is greater right now. This allow is the, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, it's the worse. It's the sickness. It's the poorer. It's in those times of stress that we need to be there for our partner 
even though it doesn't necessarily seem fair. And here's the magic of it. When you do that, it's not a compromise. It's not a sacrifice. When you do that, you, the allowing one, the giving one, you become a bigger person. It enriches you. It gives them grace and gives them space, and it makes you a deeper, richer, more understanding, warmer, more valuable person. Which goes along right down the same line of all the themes of your book. As you say here, I'm looking at your book, and this says, have a generous spirit. And it's giving of a generous spirit. Giving yeah. that away. Anna, do you want to add to that real quickly before we move on to the next yes. one? Yes. Yes, I do. What I'd like to add is that each secret has an opposite. And the mm-hmm. opposite of allowing is controlling. Oh, and okay. one oh. of the things that I see in marriages all the time is one or the other person or both trying to control the heck out of the marriage and control the other person to the point of smothering the entire organism. There's the you and the me and the us. And you have to remember that at all times, you're either feeding the us or you're starving the us. Such a great point. And again, such a parallel to a relationship with a boss and subordinate. Just the same, same thing, the same principles. Again, yes. that's why I love series one book reinforces the other let's move on to the next one which is believe i love this one and this sometimes can be hard when there's been wounds and places where leaving the other person can be really painful talk about this belief is sort of an exponent of appreciation appreciation is like i've noticed this about you i've noticed that about you here are some particular things that i love about you belief is I'm going right to the core of who you are. Belief is appreciation taken to the very center of your being. Belief is no matter what's going on right at the moment, no matter what circumstances are today, no matter what we're going through right now, even if I'm angry at you, even if you've done something that is, just seems unconscionable to me, no matter what our current situation is, I believe in the core of who you are. I know you. It's like this wonderful scripture. I know you from the time before you were conceived. I know you from the interior of your bones. I know who you are, and I believe in who you are. Now, let's deal with the circumstances, and we'll deal with that. But it's lesser to the core point, which is, I know who you are, and I believe you. And that is something that I think develops in time. and It's something that can save our relationship in times of stress and, and trouble. I think the most important part of that one is is when you're struggling, when you have a boss that comes and believes in you, what that can do to turn you to the game. You're struggling in some area of a relationship and a marriage, and the spouse says, I believe in you. Anna, I love this point. What do you want to add to this? I was just on a podcast with Stephen Covey on his new book, Trust and Inspire. He's got such a brilliant perspective, which is you need to extend trust and you need to inspire trust. And I think that believe, when we're talking about believing in somebody, there's times in a marriage where belief gets shut down, where it gets really challenged. And yet it's important to come back to that center of who the person is at their very core. Because the opposite of belief is contempt. And it's taking criticism to the next level. And the Gottmans, the most famous marriage researchers worldwide, have named contempt as one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's one of the things that'll really take down a marriage. So even in those moments where you've lost faith in your partner, if you can sit down with them and stay present enough 
to say, this has been really challenging for me. This has really hurt. But I believe in who you are as a person. I believe in your basic ethics, in your integrity. I believe in your heart. And I believe you want to be in this marriage and heal this marriage. And so I want you to know that I am extending my belief in every possible way to you because I believe in you. I want this to work. Years ago, when John was first writing, I used to say to him, I know you're going to write some brilliant novels at some point in the future. And he would always just nod and say, oh, that's nice, and walk away. I would say thank you for the vote of confidence, David. And what that meant was, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. (laughs) I appreciate it. And his very first novel was nominated for a Barry Award, which is like being nominated for an Oscar. I know. his second novel is coming out on June 8th, and people are like groveling to get him on podcasts, and he's got all these big names endorsing the book. It's so much fun to watch because that belief was extended 20 years ago. Here's the thing about Trust and Inspire, which is that when you trust and when you believe in somebody, you inspire them to greatness. And that's what? really something. People become a larger version of themselves when people believe in them. And for those of you that are listening that have children, Take this to the bank with your kids. Your children need you to believe in them. They need you to inspire. And that's part of your role as their mentor and their parent. Well, it's the same in a marriage. If you want your husband to be a bigger and larger and more powerful self, and you want your wife to be the same, then extend that trust, that belief, that inspire them to the greatness that is in there. It's so good. I'm thinking about the children exactly where I went. I was thinking about us in believing kids because there's just so many challenges facing them. And then I, being a consultant to the C-suite executives, I often flip right back into that realm and I go, how few bosses express their belief in someone, especially when they're struggling? I think it's just such an important part. The fifth secret is grow. Now, this, as you pointed out, when you started talking about these on a is one that is a bit unique. Can't wait to hear about this. It is because the first four, again, are about giving to your spouse. But the fifth secret is about feeding, nourishing, and taking care of yourself. And in a marriage, a lot of times people wake up 10 years later and they say, I'm kind of bored. I don't feel the same way about her or him as I used to because there's nothing new to find. Mm-hmm. Well, there's always something new to find. There's a great line in our book that says every person is an unexplored continent. Mm-hmm. And there's always something new to find. There's always new exploration. But the truth is a lot of people get sucked in and they try to get their needs met by the marriage instead of meeting their needs on their own. Your personal growth, your development, even your health, it's your job. It's not your spouse's job. And therefore, if you're taking the opportunity every day to grow yourself in new ways, you could be a master gardener, a great chef. These could all be avocations separate from your actual work. You could be a profound speaker getting better every day. The better you become at the things that you're excited about and inspired by, you have so much more to bring back to the relationship. And I say this to women all the time, would you rather be 20 or 30 years from now the sexiest woman he's ever known because your mind is just as interesting as every other part of you? Yes. Would you like that? 
Well, then spend time growing yourself because that's how you keep yourself alive and interesting. I love, love, love what I'm hearing. John, you want to add to that? The thing about this that I think it's so important is that Anna said earlier that there's this us between us. And at all times, you're either feeding the us or you're starving the us. One of the ways that you feed the us is to grow yourself. So you always have more to bring, as she said, more to bring to the marriage. I just want to highlight in this area of grow, there's two aspects that I think are so crucial. One of them is health. What frequently happens is in the service of our ambitions and of the things that we're actively pursuing in life, our career, our reputation, our accomplishments, our finance, whatever it may be, often we sacrifice our health. We've talked about this earlier. We often drive ourselves and we're not noticing the, the early signs. And what happens is all of a sudden at age 50 or 60 or 68 or 71 or whatever, at some age, our health suddenly breaks down. I say suddenly in air quotes because really it's been happening for decades, but our, it appears now. Our health breaks down. And now what are we? We are a burden to the family, a burden to the couple. What we're now doing is instead of feeding the us, we are starving the us big time. We're sucking from the us because we need so much extra care because we didn't take care of ourselves for decades. This is not an indictment. This is just a very, very common experience. So many people go through this. When you at the age of 25 or 30 or 40 or 70, any age, at whatever age you start to really take care of your health on a day-to-day basis, watching what you eat, watching how you move, make sure your joints and articulations are actually in motion, making sure you don't just sit in a chair all day long. When you start to take care of yourself, you are taking care of the marriage. You're taking care of your spouse by taking care of yourself because you are creating a person who won't be a burden on her or him. And the other aspect that I want to mention beyond that, that physical health, It's a matter of self-examination, going back to that. One of the ways that we grow is in maturity. One of the ways that we grow is by self-knowledge, self-understanding. This is one of the ways that we become more and more valuable to our spouse, is to become more and more interested in examining what is going on with me exactly. Why do I behave the way I do? Why am I interested in what I'm interested in? What am I here to accomplish? What's really going on in my life? The more we explore that, the more it becomes the examined life, which is worth living, right? The more we are feeding our marriage. And that's especially important if your marriage is in a challenge. Because the more that you self-examine, again, the only person that can change the marriage is you. So the more that you self-examine, the more that you're able to understand what are the dysfunctions that you've brought to the marriage. Those opposites of the secrets, criticism, control, maybe even contempt. And how easy it is we slipped into that contempt as a boss with an employee in a marriage with a relationship with the kids and all that. It's so easy. It's such a subtle drift that can happen. And I think it's yes. such an important part. The opposite of grow is stagnation. But I uh, also think the opposite of grow is defense. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. Because I think that when people aren't growing, they're defending the posture of where they are. It's like, this is who I am. Deal with it. Instead yeah. of being in this place of staying open to the possibility of waking up to your personal growth in a way that you become a more functional person in the relationship. When you bring your best self to the relationship, you open doors to intimacy that you never even dreamed could be open. You've touched on so many good points in this interview. 
John, David, talk about the book that's coming up. You've alluded to it. Anna alluded to it. What's the next book that's coming up and when it's going to be published and where can we get it? We're talking about my novel now? Yes. Yes. (laughs) They both say yes at the same time. Okay, (laughs) absolutely. Well, so this first novel that Anna was talking about came out last year. It was called Steel Fear. It's a thriller about a traumatized Navy SEAL stalking a serial killer aboard an aircraft carrier in the midst of the Pacific Ocean. That was Steel Fear, came out last year, and the publisher immediately signed us up for a sequel, which is coming out in early June, and it's called Cold Fear, and it follows that same traumatized seal, this gentleman who's had an extremely painful past and has some rather disturbing circumstances in the present, but he has memory issues, so he's having a hard time sorting out what is and isn't so kind of like all the rest of us in our lives. And he is now dropped into the center of Iceland in the middle of the coldest part of the year. So that is called Cold Fear, and it comes out in uh, June, and I can't wait for people to read it. Let's share with our listeners your website and the best way for our listeners to reach out to you. Start with you, sweetheart, and the Go-Giver, and then I'll do Cold Fear. Oh, okay. Our website is gogivermarriage.com. And on the website, you can not only order the book from any venue that you'd like, but also you can sign up for coaching. You can come to one of our group workshops. You can actually join our coaches training program and become a coach yourself. And there's all kinds of information there, as well as all the people who have endorsed the book, etc. So that's gogivermarriage.com. I want to mention that the program that Anna mentioned, the workshops we do are live via Zoom. We had somebody in our last workshop from the UK. We have somebody from Australia signing up. So you can join those from anywhere. So the other site is the site for my new novel is simply coldfearthebook.com. Thank you both so much for sharing with our listening audience of something we don't cover, probably not enough, and that is the importance of how to overcome those places where we hit rough spots in a marriage, or even how, if you have a great marriage, how to even make it better. And again, listeners, get the entire Go-Giver series. You will not be disappointed. There are just so many wonderful principles, and it's so well-written. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate you both. Thank you so much, David. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.